Hey, I gotta tell you guys about something, and I'm really excited to talk about this because I got a brand new front door lock. And it's not just any lock, it's a Eufy video lock. You might be thinking, what's the big deal, Chael? Well, okay, I'm gonna tell you. First off, it is sleek. I mean, it's a very big deal. My father used to build houses. My whole life, I've known how important curb appeal is. I used to be in real estate. When I show somebody a house, the front door is the very first thing you see. This thing is a piece of art. It truly is, and it's such a good looking piece of hardware. It instantly upgraded my front door. I was excited about the functionality. So not only do I get an instant makeover with a piece of art, you now have a different level of protection. It's a smart lock. It's got a 2K camera with audio and doorbell all in one. Most competitors are either just a camera or a smart lock. The Eufy Video Lock has both plus a doorbell and it can all be controlled via an app, which makes things so convenient. I hate when I hear the doorbell ring and I'm comfortable inside. I gotta get up, go to the door, just to find out it's a delivery man who dropped the package and is already long gone. The Eufy Video Lock now allows me to avoid all of that. I can just peek at the app. I can even talk to him or hear him talk back to me. Also, my wife and I travel a lot. It's an added level of security at my front door and it makes me feel a little bit more at ease. It was very easy to install. No, there are no monthly fees for the security video storage. The battery is rechargeable and each charge lasts about four months. The Eufy Lock is fantastic and I highly recommend it. Search Eufy Video Lock online. Do that by going to Eufy, E-U-F-Y Video Lock or visit eufyofficial.com backslash video lock to see how you gain complete control of your door. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. What's happening guys? Happy Tuesday. And thank you for joining another special episode of You're Welcome. Guys, the UFC was off this weekend, but we still got plenty to talk about like Conor McGregor and some training videos that came out over the weekend plus. I'm going to discuss the future of Francis Ngannou, and I'm also going to revisit Hazmat Chemayev's historic weight miss. All that later in the show. But let's begin here. All right, guys, let's talk a little bit of boxing. A few things happened over the weekend. For drama's sake, right, Floyd Mayweather goes out to do his match in Japan. I keep call that wrestling. I mean, I keep doing that. I, these are scripted bouts. But I must tell you, Floyd's not in on it. I mean, Floyd's out there, Floyd's sinking him in. And I, I say that because I might have to amend that statement. Not everything you see over there, right? The Pride Organization, not everything you saw was scripted. They put a lot of real matches in. In all fairness, how would I know? I mean, how would I know unless we saw a replay and a punch landed and the, the guy went down? So Floyd goes out before the fight. Guy comes into the ring. Now, Floyd's in his corner trying to picture that, okay? Mouthpiece in, T-shirt off, all wrapped up, and a guy comes over to him to, to present like a ceremonial presentation of flowers. 
Now, it's very relevant because these flowers aren't from Floyd's opponent. These flowers aren't from the promoter. This is set up to be a welcome from the people of Japan. At the last moment, the gentleman throws the flowers on the ground, again, like a pro wrestling thing. Now, it wasn't a tremendous piece of theater, but the organization came out and called him a despicable human being. I don't think he was supposed to do that. I'm guessing. I don't think he was supposed to do that. I think it's called going into business for yourself. It's where you go off script when the cameras are live, thinking you're going to put yourself over in a way that the writers didn't do. And sometimes it works. When Stone Cold Steve Austin became Stone Cold Steve Austin, he went into business for himself. He went off script. He could have been fired for it, but it worked. So the guy, you know, last minute, the guy throws the flowers at Floyd's feet. Now, to call him a despicable human being, there could be a cultural issue that I don't understand. I don't know that I would be all terribly disrespectful if a person gave me flowers. I think handing a guy that's wearing gloves flowers is weird. I mean, I, I guess I would start with that. Why are they walking Floyd a bouquet of flowers to start with? Which, again, could have some cultural representation. So I'm asking you guys the question. So he throws them at Floyd's feet. What's Floyd going to do with them anyway? If the guy hands them to Floyd, Floyd's going to have to throw them on the ground. He's got a fist of cuffs to get to, and they don't involve flowers. He didn't have a vase. He wasn't putting it in water. What, do the guy think he's going to ship it back to his mansion in Las Vegas? I mean, not for nothing. Who gives a damn about the flowers? I'm just sharing for you that I think the guy was not supposed to do that. I think when Ryzen turned on him and called him a despicable human being after the fact, right? If you wanted to do it in the moment, if the announcers wanted to do it, that'd be one thing. If you want to do it at a press conference, try to sell some tickets, this was after the fact. I think the guy might have screwed up. I'm not positive that that guy comes back and we will find out. And it's very hard to rattle Floyd. Floyd just smiled when it happened, but Floyd also didn't know how to interpret it. Is this a cultural issue? And I was just heavily disrespected. Is that what, do I need to whip your ass? Or is this just part of the show and you threw flowers at my feet, of which I wasn't going to pick up and smell and put in a vase anyway? All right. But while you're thinking about that, I think Floyd's got it all figured out. I mean, I used to really question Floyd. Here, let me give you a, a great quote. Jake Paul over the weekend was talking about Floyd going and doing this match. And Jake Paul said he's ruining his legacy. I agreed with Jake. I don't know that I currently agree with Jake. But that was my prediction as well. This is silly. And Floyd even knows it's silly. That's why he's lying about the money he's getting. Got $8 million to do that fight, but he claimed he got $20 million to do the fight. I mean, it's like one of these things where he's trying to justify it. He's trying to explain it. I don't think he owes us that. Floyd, prior to this last fight, said something very cool. He said, yeah, I'm going to go over to Japan. The money's good and the competition's pretty light. Now, I appreciated that because it is light competition. But for Floyd to go out and do that, I mean, you got to be in a level of shape. you got to have a level of timing. It takes a level of hard work. I mean, Floyd's really got this thing figured out. You go pick up $8 million, but Chael's sitting over here saying, oh, you didn't make all $20 million. He made $8 million. This is beautiful. Went over to Japan, had light work. This was yesterday, guys. A fight was announced today for Floyd. Floyd's next fight, they're calling it an exhibition. It's already announced. I would have agreed with Jake, like, hey, man, this is going to hurt your legacy. And it really comes down to a level of production. If people are used to, and people, you guys don't understand this. The psychology, you don't even know this about yourself. But when you see a big, beautiful production, and then you don't. 
You will hold that production against the guy and against the event. Whoa, he's really slipped. But Floyd's going to play. They got beautiful production. He looks good in there. And I do think it's relevant that Floyd knocked this boy out because people were trying to say that it was a punch that missed. Gerald Harris does a great breakdown on Twitter. And he just shows the clip and Gerald talks about where the punch lands and why, you know, why it is so devastating when it's behind the ear. And this is a straight right by Floyd. It's Floyd's absolute hardest punch and hits again. The guy's not very big. But the fact that Floyd put this guy down, he put the last boy down too. He's been to Japan two times now. 8 million and 8 million claim 20 and 20. The point is he's putting both guys down. I, I get where they're at, but these guys have a level of experience. One of them was a world kickboxing champion, the first opponent. The second one is a young, brash, hungry young man who had real skills. He slipped a number of things. He was throwing his own combinations. I mean, not it was fine. But I only bring this to your attention. Floyd went over to Japan. He, he knocked out two guys. They were pretty tough. One of them was a kickboxing champion. I mean, right, these guys are pretty tough. I don't know their resumes. He didn't even come close to doing that to Logan Paul. But it's something to consider, right? Much like a fine wine that gets better with time, Logan's victory over Floyd or Logan's performance because people don't want to adhere to the rules. They agreed if it went a distance, Logan wins. But I'm just sharing with you, Floyd's putting down pros with experience. Out finishing fights, he's not putting down Logan. What do you make of that? Right, Jake inserted himself, but I see what Jake sees. This isn't going to be great. It's it's turned out to be just fine. Like Floyd keeps riding off into the sunset. You know, it's not the first that it happened. Mike Tyson's coming out and he he's appearing in the hangover, just by example. Uh Muhammad Ali went out. He had a wrestling match with a professional wrestler. Like some of those silly things come along. And I don't know that it ruins your legacy. And if you're Floyd and you're going, hey, I don't care what the script says. Tell him. Don't tell me. I'm going to knock him out. And then he goes and does it. I, I, I think it's a good thing. Meanwhile, over the weekend, if we're just going to sum up boxing, Eddie Hearn has filed a $100 million lawsuit against Jake Paul. And Jake had made a claim publicly that Eddie fixed a fight. Now, that's very strong language. But Eddie needs to tread real thin here. Eddie needs to be real, real careful. Because the truth is an absolute defense. And Eddie Hearn is saying, look, there's one thing for opinion. There's one thing for headlines. There's another thing for slander. It would not be good if Eddie Hearn, a promoter, a well-respected and massive promoter, was fixing fights. But Jake laid his case out as to why he thought that. Talked about a specific referee on a specific night. Talked about a call that, I apologize, a judge. Talked about a, a call that that judge made that was adverse to the other two licensed judges. And everybody who knows anything about boxing watched. I mean, he, he laid out a good point. Can you tie Eddie to it? I mean, those are two very different things. Like, Jake put evidence for it, but can you tie Eddie to it? The only reason I say that Eddie needs to tread lightly. You're talking about $100 million. You're talking about a guy getting a defense ticket. You, you, you got to be careful. You really do. The way that boxing does it and the damage that boxing has done over time. Teddy Atlas used to go on NBC, which called the Olympic Games. And every four years, Teddy would come out, but he would call out his own sport. He would call out the absolute corruption. There was a South Korean that beat Roy Jones Jr. for the Olympic gold medal. They got on the medal stand and the South Korean, he's up there getting his award. He's apologizing to Roy. I am so sorry. The Olympics were in Seoul, Korea. 
The guy was apologizing over and over. He tried to give him the medal. These things happen. They get rid of Teddy Atlas. Now, all these years later, an independent party goes in and is starting to ban these guys, and they would like indictments. They found out there was everything that Teddy had told us was happening. He was right. What the hell's that got to do with Eddie Hearn? I'm just sharing for you. There, there are ways. You got to be careful if you're Eddie. You got to be careful. Come out, get your headline. Do the lawsuit. Talk about you're defending yourself. Shut anybody else down from doing it. Call Jake. Hey, we're good. Let this ride in the headlines just a little bit further. I'm not going to actually see you in court. It's not going to be a beautiful day if they go and get a defense together. There's going to be a lot of people that side with Jake. Even if Eddie's going, what are you, what are you talking about? I brought in a referee. I brought in a judge. I'm the promoter. I just got all the right people. I never had this conversation. It's a slippery slope. If I'm bringing in the judge, just so you guys understand how this works. If I'm bringing in the judges, I never talk to those judges. Matter of fact, I have somebody else even contact them. Book their travel, book their reservation, book them at the hotel. I don't, I never even say hello to these guys. But they're coming in to do my event, and I then go to a press conference, and I tell you very clearly who I want to win. I want Anthony Joshua to win, because I want to set up boxing's biggest fight ever against Tyson Fury. You're, I mean, these, these are very common things. That's not fixing fights. That would just be normal. But I don't know how much of this it, 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 Eddie really wants to bring forward. This is Slippery Slope, slippery slope by Jake. But I don't think those accusations are something that Eddie or any other boxing promoter are actually going to want to test. So we'll have some more on the crossover between MMA and boxing later in the show. But for now, I want to tell you about something my good friend Daniel Cormier recently said about Hazmat Chemayev. I think that Daniel was talking with Helen Yee. He said, I believe that Chemayev made the decision to stop cutting weight, knowing that the consequences were not going to be as severe for him than they would be for other people. Now, when I first heard that, I thought, that's a stretch, Daniel. I mean, you're trying to get into the, into the psychology of a man who's getting ready to go into a fist fight in front of the world at a main event, right? This is a different guy. This guy's thinking differently already. He's not himself. That's not a normal thing to do. Now you're trying to get into the psychology of what a guy thought in one of his most vulnerable moments when you are cutting weight. I mean, to explain to you the pain, I'm not talking about dieting, guys. I'm not talking about losing weight. Cutting weight is to something totally different. And Daniel's trying to get into his mind and thinks that he had the time to deduct all of those things. So I didn't, I, I didn't love it. Sat down, I'm going to give Daniel, I'm going to poke him in the chest. Give him a hard time. I started thinking about it. No, wait a minute. Daniel makes a very interesting point, doesn't he? Daniel makes a very interesting point, and this one went past me. Chemayev was not fighting for a belt. That wasn't on the line. Chemayev didn't even screw up a main event. Whether they mismatched him or not, they could have made that fight eight pounds different. Do it all the time. Matter of fact, eight pounds spread in Las Vegas is exactly what Kelvin Gatslam weighed in overweight when he fought Tyron Woodley. Just for example... Chumayev didn't lose 10%. Chumayev didn't miss weight. They did a catch weight. I never realized this. It just never dawned on me. All the evidence is here. I never realized it until Daniel said this and I was forced to process. He did not lose 10%. I had a guy miss weight one time. I got 10% of his purse for him missing weight and me agreeing to the match. I had no idea. This guy made a lot of money. I had no idea. I get this check. It was one of these things that what I remember is it was, it was very exciting 
Felt like free money. I didn't know you could turn a fight down if a guy missed weight. Like I, nowhere in my psyche does that happen. I'm not used to fight when they didn't even put us on a scale. Couldn't have possibly cared less. But these were the rules, and this is what happened, and that happens to everybody. And Jeremiah's making a, a very pretty penny. He's going to lose 10%. That's going to hurt. Well, no, wait a minute. He didn't, did he? They officially changed that. I'm asking a question here, but I think it's a larger point that Daniel was making. And I'm quite sure that I am right on this. They changed it to a catch weight. They changed it to a catch weight of 178 pounds. And that's how we ended up in there with Holland that also weighed in like 178 pounds. So there wasn't even the fine. When Daniel's talking about he, your repercussions aren't the same. Yes, you lost a main event. Main events matter. Not to mention that main event was stated. It was never corrected. The last statement was, that is a number one contender's fight. Now, that statement was made prior to Kamar Usman losing the belt and becoming the number one contender. But there was still time in there, and that statement never went away. So possibly Chemayev did lose that. Possibly. But I don't know that Chemayev, even with a victory, even if he would have beaten Nate, I don't know that even with a victory, he can get in front of Kamar Usman. So if he wasn't going to get the title fight anyway, then he didn't lose that. He lost a main event placement, but he had a great performance. He didn't even lose any of his money. Daniel's right. Daniel's right. Now, I don't know if I can go as, as far as to say that Chemayev actually thought that or processed it. Like, that story gets weird, and we have this in our sport, and people prefer to just rewrite history and put out the narrative that you wish would have happened. Charles Oliveira is still the champion of the world. That's the result that you wish would have happened. So we just go with it. We got announcers that are paid to be correct, telling the world that Charles is still the champion, which is not true. But we do that in this sport all the time. All the time, we just make something up and boom, that's it. The way we wish that it would have happened. As it pertains to Chemayev, not losing 10%, still being the talk of the town, he had the submission of the night. I don't know if they bonused him. If you miss weight, you're not eligible for submission of the night. However, he didn't miss weight. They made it a catch weight. That's interesting. I mean, it really is very interesting. Daniel's point is very fair. Daniel didn't elaborate on it. Maybe he was going down a different road than the one I'm going now. I'm attempting to just piggyback on the big bear and elaborate as to what his thoughts were, but I'm guessing. But that is a pretty fascinating concept. As it pertains to Chemayev, the doctor stopped him. He didn't miss weight. He didn't quit. The doctor stopped him. That's a, that's a rewriting of history. The commission would not have allowed the fight. I sit down, I tell you guys sometimes, I say, nobody knows the rules but me. Now, that's a very condescending thing to say. How would nobody know the rules but me? Well, there's good reason. It's just that nobody knows the rules. And I get people that argue with me. I could call them out by now. I know the trail doesn't know all the... Show me your rule book. If you know the rules, hold up the rule book. Just show me that you even have one. If you're going to say you know the rules, then just show me... The rule book. Show me that you've read it, because mine's sitting right down here. I got sued. There's a reason that I know the rules. I was sued in 2002 by the state of Oregon's attorney general office that has endless funds seven times. Seven times I went to court. Seven times I was sworn in, and seven times I beat them. And I beat them because I knew the rules. They didn't know their own rules. So we can get away with saying things like the commission wouldn't have made it. Well, the rules are right there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We can say things like the doctor stopped him, but it was 9 a.m., guys. Private room with a team. Where'd that doctor come from? 
I mean, right there, there's some things that's, we retell the story. Chalver is not the champion. It's one of these tough spots. And when I tell you guys I know the rules, I predicted on Thursday, prior to the Friday, that Charles missed weight. I predicted Charles was going to miss weight. So I stayed up Thursday and I boned up. And I made one mistake. I boned up on the rules of the Arizona State Athletic Commission, which has no authority to take his championship belt away. I did not know it would be an organization's issue. When I looked into those rules, it was handled exactly as the bylaws say. Exactly as the bylaws say. But I hear people that think that they know the rules. And when tell me that they know them. If you know, I won't even question you. There won't even be a multiple choice. Just hold up the rule book next time you tell me. Just show me that you even have read the rules. So you might remember Chemiah was supposed to fight Nate Diaz a few weeks ago, but that all fell to pieces. And since Diaz beat Tony Ferguson that night, we've been speculating on what Nate's going to do next. Here's my latest thoughts on all of that, as well as the future of another UFC star. So Bellator was speaking to Nate Diaz. That was a statement that was made. Well, Bellator then came out and clarified that a little bit, just to say, Nate's got managers and we have people, you know, it's an industry and we're going back and forth, but he's in an exclusive negotiated pair. Now, just set that aside, but that was a really interesting detail. Because that's exactly the way that most contracts are. I mean, these are usually boilerplate contracts. You change a word here or there, you put a date, you put a new guy's name. Everybody's basically got the same deal, and it's very relevant. So Nate's contract situation with the UFC has been very public for a meaningful period of time. So he's done, but he now is in a exclusive negotiation period, which generally is three months. Now, the reason that that matters, and the reason I'm so glad that we got clarity on that, is because it pushes you right back to Francis Ngannos. And the most clarity that I have ever been given, that I witnessed and that I retained, was at a post-fight press conference when Kevin Ioli made a statement to Francis. It was a statement in the form of a question when he said, to our understanding, your contract with the UFC expires in December. Is that right? And Francis said, yeah. Now, it's always been discussed since that point that on December 11th, or that date in December, that he's just free and clear. Off to box Tyson, off you go, whatever you want to do, you're free and clear. But, but it does matter if you have the exclusive negotiation period. And that's just never been talked about with Francis. It was never talked about with Nate. And I was even thinking, man, these guys got something else in their deal. And so I appreciate that this has been clarified. Now, on the heels of that, Francis is coming out. Francis said, I want to fight John Jones. And he told the truth. He said how great John did, and he's in the division, and, and that's a great big payday for me. And I'm ready to go make some money. Now, I love those things. These are all really wonderful things. And we always take Francis at his word. Whatever Francis says, <clears throat> excuse me, that's the direction that we go in. But he's been so hot and heavy and I'm not coming back, and I'm going to box Tyson, and we're going to make some rules up. Or even if I don't box Tyson, I still have to have this clause in my contract. It was one of these things that we really didn't know. Now, they can go together, right? Francis, maybe if he elaborates on this thought, I want to fight John Jones under a new contract, that gives me a carve-out for boxing. They can all go together. 
But they did it in this particular statement, and I'm just sharing it with you. He, somebody wants to fight John Jones. Now, I don't love the timing of it. That's the fight to make, by the way. I would never attempt to correct that fight. That would be, that would be the most colossal match. I understand those things. It's important, if possible, that we preserve the idea when John goes in there with Francis that John is going to lose. That is what this whole thing is predicated on. This isn't about let's go watch John take two years, go up a weight class, and go collect some more hardware and prove that he was just the best. It's not. Not even a little bit of the pie. Not zero of that. It's about John being in a circumstance that we believe to be insurmountable, which is multiple years off, changing divisions, kicked out of his gym, Where's he preparing? Going to take on a much larger man. And size matters. I mean, we've convinced ourselves of that. Muhammad Ali was 198 pounds in his prime. Mike Tyson was 220 pounds. Like, it's been proven to us that the, 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 the size gimmick isn't as true as we believed that it was. But it's still a real phenomenon. I mean, it really is something that you can sink your, your teeth into the numbers. You bring up those numbers, it's this beautiful thing for John Jones. What's he got, that 83-inch reach or just something silly? But it's the longest reach in the entire sport. Longest reach in the history of the sport. But that matters. That pops off the page. You see that. Francis Ngannou, they say he weighs 260. I mean, that's what he says. He's a big man the right way. I mean, I think he's cutting to, to get down to 265. I think he's getting to the ring about 278, 280. This is what I think. This is what my eyes tell me. But that's a big deal, and John has helped to this story. Nobody's been more helpful than John. John took two years off, and what, are we going on three? I've lost track. We are two or three years that John has removed himself saying, I must gain weight. I cannot beat these guys if I don't have X amount of size. I mean, John has really done a good job of reinforcing our belief that size matters. Now, I don't love that Francis is out with an injury. I mean, the story is damn near perfect. I, I realize that I'm nitpicking, but, but I do want to nitpick it because we have a round robin. We have a few ways that we can do this Stipe Jones-Francis business, but I don't know of a way that has ever been suggested for us that gets Francis in there with Jones in a scenario where Francis is not out. All I'm proposing is that Francis has been hurt with a leg injury. Francis come back. He gets one fight. Now when he fights John, he hasn't been out. That's not part of the story. But I don't see a scenario with this very clear three-way dance they got going. It appears that it's either going to be John Jones versus Francis, which Michael Bisping was the first to suggest, I must say, or it's going to be Stipe versus Jones. Winner feeds into Francis. So either way, I don't know that I can get my side of it corrected, which I don't, I don't want that part of the story. Well, Francis was laid off and he's been out for a period of time. If Francis was out for a year, John Jones was out for three. Like, I'm trying to get ahead of this thing because I like where Francis is at. Hey, guys, we have an obligation to support Francis. So now that community, we've been upset with Francis because the heavyweight champion and he's not signed. He doesn't say he's going to come back to the promotion. As a matter of fact, last time we see him in a ring, it's in a boxing ring. He says he wants to go and make up a sport and do it with time. We don't have to back him on that. Like, we aren't unloyal people, and we, we aren't bad guys. We aren't not Francis's friends. If he tries to change the deal, we have the right to change our response. We don't have to follow Roy Jones Jr. when he went into the world of rap. 
We don't have to follow the rock when he wants people to start calling him Dwayne. We will make the rule. You will do what we want. We are still the consumer. Now, some of you loved it and you were ready to go with them. I'm just sharing if you did it, if you weren't on board for this whole, let's carve out, let's go make up some rules, let's go fight Tyson Fury somewhere in England. Like, if you weren't on board with that, you're not wrong. You weren't the disloyal fit. This is what you want Francis to do. But if Francis is talking and he wants to come back, he wants to fight John Jones, hey, let's get behind him. And you can't get behind Francis. Come him off a knee injury. Don't forget that. Keep hearing about all this contract stuff. Francis is testing something. That's okay. Because he's not delaying his own career. He's not holding up that division. Francis has not gotten that belt and, and gone and hidden. He's got a knee injury. He's trying to fix it. It's a very important part of the story. And I feel as though once this all gets worked out or moreover, if it never does, that people are going to try to rewrite history and say that Francis held up a division. It's not what he did. He wasn't able to compete. He wasn't able to go into training camp. He wasn't going to fight anybody. Interim the thing, strip me from the whatever you want to do with it. I can't go in there and defend it. That's true at the same time as the contract discussions are true. So I think we I think we've got majorly good news here with Francis. And he's right. John's the fight to make. That's the biggest fight. He wants a great big payday. That's a great big payday. You get a calculator out and you start running the numbers. I'm not sure that whatever that is with Tyson is, you know, I, I don't really know how that works. I remember Nate Diaz went on Ariel's show. He said he turned out a fight with Conor McGregor. That wasn't just talk. He did. Nate's contract, the way it works, and Chael's estimations, which are pretty good, but they're not perfect, was about $12 million to fight Conor. And I could I could be on the high seat. You know, we, we need a lot of people to come to the table. But you're looking at about $12 million. Versus $2 million to fight Chemayev, what turned out to be Tony, and then you go on a hiatus, we believe, to go and do something in boxing. I'm just not sure if you get the calculator out that at the end of this period, it is more money. I'm not sure. I think Francis could do about $18 million, do $15 million to fight Tyson. I do think that. But if you pass up four fights to get there, I mean, do you guys hear what I'm saying? Now, that's to each his own. One guy may go, well, I don't want to go four times for $15 million if I can go one time for $15 million. Okay, you, you could do that too. That's not the argument I'm making. I'm talking about you get a calculator and just tell me the number. By X date, right? By January 1st of 2024, what were your earnings in this period? Now, maybe you had to work more to get it. I'm just talking about that final number. I'm not convinced that they're so big and beautiful in boxing. And I do think it's a very helpful detail. And we do owe Bellator a thank you for this, for coming out and clarifying and saying that Nate has this exclusive period. Sometimes when you're riding on principle, sometimes when you're on principle, I'm, I'm exhausting this contract. I can't see anything. I can't see and I can't hear anything. I'm exhausting this contract. I'm full steam. It's the only thing that I care about. Sometimes once that's done and you got your way, you go, okay, I've exhausted the contract. I'm free. Well, you're actually more susceptible at that point to start hearing and to start seeing some of these other things. You know, Nate Diaz was very cool to the promotion. He thanked everybody when he left. He did not bring out a new name or a new business and start plugging them and telling you to go to their websites and buying their t-shirts and light your UFC stuff on fire. Man, it was the furthest thing from that. As a matter of fact, he said, I'm going to come back to the UFC. So what's the difference? What's the difference if you're going to come back in three years? Or what's the difference if you come back in three months? 
You come back in three years and see what's out there with if your Nate Diaz is going to be something pretty special. Or you come back in three months, you take on Conor McGregor, the biggest fight the sport can make. I, I mean, I just think that there's a discussion that is likely to be heard and seen differently now that Nate got what he wanted, which is the exhaustion of the contract. There's a reason that Dana puts the three months, the exclusive in. He, Dana's not done talking to Nate. Dana's not done talking to Francis. But the part that might surprise you guys is Nate and Francis aren't done listening to Dana. Getting back to boxing, Jose Aldo hung up his MMA gloves last weekend, and many of you are probably thinking, what's he going to do now? Go box? Now, that's interesting to me and I've got some time to digest it, I want to tell you what I think. Jose's amazing. I went as far as to call Jose Aldo an inspiration. I don't know of a, of a stronger word that I could use or that I ever have used. And I, I'm only, I, you, you know where this is going. I'm going to build Jose because it's going to take a turn. But I don't want it to. I want you to make sure that I, I am very clear-eyed in remembering 12 years undefeated. A guy that was so good, he had never stepped in the octagon and they gave him the belt and nobody argued. You remember that? Jose Aldo had never been in the octagon and they presented him the world championship and nobody, including guys who had been in there, nobody said that was wrong. They all understood. He was the best. And you don't always have that. We will have world champions. But they haven't proven that they're the best in the world. They're on their way, and they've shown it against a few guys who were in this organization. But we see that over time. That's a little bit yesteryear. But Jose's been around a long time. He dates back to that. Nobody questioned. I mean, this guy's phenomenal. 145 pounds later in life, he wants the championship so damn bad. He changes his physiology. He changes his lifestyle. As an adult, becomes a 135-pounder, only takes on the absolute best guys. I mean, this guy is awesome. What George St. Pierre was to wrestling offense, Jose Aldo was to wrestling defense. Ever been as good as George was at taking you off your feet, Jose was as good as staying on his. Just a phenomenal fighter. If Jose retired, that would be a very somber moment. That would be a death of a career, of a beloved career in MMA. And that is the way we would tell the story and hard stop. But I never thanked Jose. I never thanked him, and I never paid tribute to his career over here, Bad Guy Inc. Studios, because I'm not sure that's what happened. I mean, if we're still along the journey, we'll go on the journey. I felt as though what I was watching after Jose's last fight, when he got down on his knees and he had this conversation with Marab, I felt as though that was the retirement. He was saying goodbye. And a few weeks went by so that you're not making any decisions based on emotion. And he came out and he did just that. But not so fast. It was a retirement from MMA. And he asked for a release from the Ultimate Fighting Championship so that he could sign somewhere else. Now that's boxing. And this is where I need your guys' help. I don't know what it is that I'm not seeing. So many of these fighters want to go into boxing. And that's fine. That's a sport that we like, and it's, I mean, it's dumbing it down. 
right? I came from wrestling. I had to leave wrestling to get into MMA because wrestling was only one part. If I went back to wrestling, I would be stepping down from MMA, and that's okay. If there's a place to go in boxing, if that's what you would like to do with your life, and damn, Jose Aldo can box. I don't question any of these things. I'm just not sure where historically with a lineage you could tell me over time who else has done this. You guys all heard of Tony Robbins, Anthony Robbins. He goes and puts these seminars on there. They're like three days. You come in on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you got to pay $10,000. And there's people that come in, they can barely scrape this together. They say it was worth every cent. I know a guy that went, Robert Follis, he absolutely loved it. Tony made him feel great. But at, at the end of the day, at the end of all the who run, if you go read Anthony Robbins' books, number one motivational speaker in the world. He's very good at what he does. But once you get through all the books and all the chapters and all the three days, there's one premise. He will tell you, you don't have to reinvent anything. Go and find somebody who's already done what it is you want to do and then copy them. Study that guy. See if you can take him to lunch. See if you can sit him down and ask him, how'd you do this? How'd you do this? Just go copy the guy. And it is excellent advice. I come from the world of MMA, guys. I have never used a technique that I made up. I've never used a technique that I went into the lab, being in the training room, and worked with some partner and came up with. Clayton Shire showed me him. I had somebody show me them. I'm sitting there watching on TV. I said, guy, do it. Monkey see, monkey do. It's a, it's a really good way to learn. It's a really good way to be successful. So I just want to know where we're getting this in the world of MMA and why it's not going away. I do know about the time that Conor McGregor, who was a simultaneous once-in-a-lifetime attraction, took on Floyd Mayweather, who is the greatest, most bankable boxer of two eras. I, I do know that. I don't know where I see MMA guys going into boxing. I keep hearing it. I keep being told. I keep being told they want to do it. This is what they're going to do. Now, I could get real technical there. And I could tell you about some short notice fights. My buddy Tyron Woodley got a slip in there with his famous YouTuber who is now proving that, that he's a legitimate boxer and a legitimate contender. He takes the sport very seriously. That wasn't the story at the time. I'm going to bring that to you because this idea of an MMA going, guy going over to boxing, the two examples that I just gave you, neither one of them had to do with an MMA guy going over to boxing. They went and did something. They went and did an extravaganza. They went and did something very fun. They went and did a spectacle, and they contested under boxing rules. So where is this idea that MMA guys can go to boxing? I'm just asking the question. I want to make money on it. There's nobody in this business that's tied to every single side of the business but me. From athlete to trainer to manager to commentator to promoter, and I don't shine my own wheels. I'm just sharing with you. I see things. I know what's going on out there. I get in front of it, I take part in it. I am a licensed promoter in the state of Oregon. I am licensed to do boxing. If this is the thing, if MMA guys, and when they get old and you're, you're no longer over here, you're not selling out arenas over here, you're not even a main event, and you can leave that with whatever, right, you got to knock some dust off you. I wasn't good enough to do what I did there, but I, 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 it's good enough for you guys, right? And I, I get that part way. 
I swear to God, feel still feel pretty good. I can move around a little bit. But if I slowed down, if I was hurt and I needed money, I would go join the NFL. Like, I do get it to some degree that these other sports are lower than us. But they're going to know the Ravens and the Rams. They're going to know. He's not in his prime. That's why he's over here with us. And if you set all of that aside, where, where is this idea that you can go from MMA to boxing? And whether it was Floyd, whether it was Connor, whether whether it was T. Wood, whether it was Jake Paul, you have stars, you have massive stars that got together and decided to contest it under boxing rules. If you come from the world of MMA and you're not the main event, I mean, right? It, it, it's tough. It's tough, but it's the reality. Somebody needs to grab you. Somebody in your inner circle is not telling you this. If the sport that you were in, you were not the marquee filling up arenas, it would show you that your time in that sport is, and now you're now you're talking about going into something else, and I'm wondering where the market is. I don't know what the history of the lineages of fighters doing this. I continue to hear it. MMA guy is going to go over to box. I continue to hear it. I just don't see it. I just don't see it. And I'm very open to the idea. Now, there's parts of the world that absolutely love boxing. What if you took this to uh, Tijuana? What if you took this to Havana? What if you took this to British Columbia? I mean, what if you go find the market and you set up the ring and you put these guys in there? Whatever it is, they're going to come over to boxing. Well, let's just say they love boxing that much. Just there's play. They love boxing. And that's where I'm going to go set this thing up. Okay, great. Are they going to know what a Jose Aldo is? Because if they're diehard boxing fans, how are they going to know what a Jose Aldo is? He, he's not a boxer. He came from MMA. And I just get confused on this. I wish Jose the best. I want this to all work out. Truly and sincerely. No part of me is looking to be a jerk about this. I'm asking a question. I feel like maybe it is a tough question. Perhaps it's one that nobody has asked Jose. But before you go in the gym every day, right? Go get yourself a tennis ball. Go get, go get a racket. Hey, you made it. World champion will be remembered. Absolute lock for the Hall of Fame. Popular guy and a good-looking guy on top of everything else. Like, Jose, you won. So before you go into the gym each day and you start skipping your little rope and you start throwing punches at somebody, throwing punches back at you, thinking that that's good exercise, go get on a stair stepper. Go get yourself a treadmill. There's another way. And it's a way that you qualify for. You did it. But if you have somebody that you're trying to leverage known as a manager, and he's not leveling with you, just say, hey, I'm not your guy. I have no pipelines. I've never done this before. I've never taken an MMA guy and moved him over to boxing. Let me leave it at that. This is before we start being a jerk and saying, no longer champion on a losing streak, not the main event. That's before we start saying these things that could hurt someone's feelings. Let's just take an MMA guy and move him over. But let's just do that. Show me somewhere that that's happened. Conor McGregor did it. Conor McGregor is a once-in-a-lifetime attraction who is a simultaneous sitting and reigning UFC champion. It's important that you understand that concept. And if you won't concede that point to me, okay, fine, I'll concede it right back to you. You win. Conor McGregor did it. Absolutely. Who else? Well, Tyron Woodley went out there and he made $2 million. Okay, great, but he didn't go and take on a boxer. Now, I understand that that's not how it looks now. Jake Paul's starting to get serious. The WBA is talking about giving him a ranking. I understand that that's changing. I understand he's about to get in there with Anderson Silva. I, I understand those things. 
Not the night that Tyron did it. Didn't have anything to do with MMA taking on boxing. It was not sustainable. It was not a multi-fight contract. Tyron didn't get to go do it every three months for a couple of years. So who are these promoters that are signing MMA guys to box? What do those contracts look like? Are they sustainable? The one thing that boxing never did, I mean, it's one of the great things that Dana White has ever pulled off. He's never been given credit. It might be, honestly, it might be the single, as far as the pure sport goes, the business side of it, he gets all sorts of accolades. As far as the pure sport goes, the greatest trick Dana ever pulled, and he had to change the world, he had to change perception, is Dana made losing acceptable. We got a guy in MMA fighting for a world championship. 17 wins, 11 losses. That's a real record. One of my favorite fighters ever. His name is Randy Couture. Won multiple world championships, 17 wins and 11 losses. We made losing acceptable. It was the best against the best. It was iron on top of iron. You're not going to win them all. We bring in the absolute best guy and we put you against them. Champions versus contenders. Losing became acceptable. If you go over to boxing and you suffer a loss, could he come back? I mean, is it a one-off? So that's the other side of the conversation. If you know something, Chael doesn't. If you've got an in with a promoter and you're this close to getting signed, you can go and get your guy paid for whatever it is, however you're going to do that. And people, the only reason boxing exists is because you will continue to find people willing to lose money. But let's say you've got one and I don't know about it. It's never been done. It's a new guy. He's from your hometown, whatever it is. He's your uncle's cousin's friend's bus driver. You got a connection that I don't know about. I'm going to ask you one more. One more quick, great job and congratulations. And you have taught me something and you have shoved a whole bunch of words right down my throat. But as I'm swallowing them, I'm going to ask you one follow-up question. If you lose this match, is there any reasonable belief you'll ever get another one? Because the best boxers in the world have to tell you no. The best boxers in the world. Olympians and Olympic medalists and Junior Golden Gloves champion, the best. If they suffer, they move down the card. So you're going to get an MMA guy. You're going to move over into a field. He's an older guy. He's not licensed to box. He doesn't even have a weight class yet. He's got absolutely no record. He did a different sport, not in a headlining spot. I'm going to bring him in. I'm going to pay him a bunch of money. Okay, great. Well, you're probably going to have to put him against somebody pretty good. Considering this guy isn't a boxer, you're probably going to have to bring in a boxer. Can we at least agree that no matchmaker is dumb enough to not do that? And now that you do... If it goes the way the odds makers think, which is the MMA guy is getting brought in for nothing more than his name, and he loses the fight, can he ever do it again? It's okay if the answer is no. There's once-in-a-lifetime opportunities. They're one-off all the time in life. But is that a plan? Is that sustainable? And if somebody told you yes, you sat down at a business meeting, and you extended a contract with a manager, or perhaps even signed one. If that manager told you yes, let me ask him the hard question. He's welcome to come on my program. Who is he? Where are you going to fight? And is it sustainable? So I just mentioned a minute ago, Conor McGregor. 
you may have seen on social media this week that Connor put out some training clips and I want to tell you what to make of it. You guys watch something called 24-7? Now our version of it is called Embedded, but Embedded is easily the greatest thing the UFC puts out. It is the greatest show, but 24-7 helped to inspire that, and those were being done exclusively on Floyd Mayweather. That didn't always hold up. Once Pacquiao got his shine, they were doing it, but they would just follow him around for 24-7. There would be a camera crew that would follow you 24-7. He would rush to edit. He would turn those pieces around and get that on the air that night. Sometimes they'd do a whole week. But in between the weigh-in and a fight one time, they made one of these. It was just incredible. It was just incredible, and you're just behind the scenes. There's nothing that'll make you feel a part of it more than being behind the scenes. The UFC started redoing their walkouts. You used to, when you walk into the arena, there was literally a curtain. You pull back the curtain, boom, you're in the arena. But that's the first time the camera would pick you up. The UFC started doing that way in the back. I mean, you'll pass craft services. You'll pass some other fighter that's taking his gloves off. You'll pass somebody that's just having a conversation. It's great. It's the way to walk them out. You start that music back. There. It's great. It's a bit, but you're behind the scenes. Now, I am convinced with absolutely no proof. I'm convinced that 24-7 is 100% effective. I do not believe that you could watch it 24-7. You might not want to watch it. I'm saying if you do, if somebody sits you're not even gonna fight that bit, but you sit down and watch 24-7. I'm convinced you cannot watch one and not want to know what happened in the fight. Even if you don't watch it, even if you don't buy it, you'll want to know what, hey, who won that fight? They are so effective and they're so wonderful. There's something about those uh, footages. So the sport's biggest star, Conor McGregor, released over the weekend two videos of himself sparring. They were seconds. It was like a, a, a combined of 11 seconds for two different videos. Oh, God, I wish it would have been 30 minutes. That's fun for me. I'm just wondering if you guys share that same opinion. I was on vacation. And we don't do vacations. I mean, we went, my family just doesn't. Sometimes we have to travel to work. We'll take the whole family, but we never set aside to go. We, no. We went on vacation. Went up to San Diego. John Bardas had given us his proper. We're just having a great time. And Coach Daryl Christian calls me, finds out I'm in town. Says, hey, why don't you come down to the gym? It was only 20 minutes from where I was. And I go down there. And Juan Archuleta and Brian Ortega and TJ Dillashaw have the whole gym to themselves. Daryl Christian's putting them through a workout, and it's a round robin. I mean, I'm watching, I'm watching, what? Wow, this is awesome. This was awesome. Free admittance. I'm the only one there. I got a monster energy drink, and I'm having fun, and you know, about an hour and 15 minutes of absolute fun that cost me nothing that nobody could ever see. And I feel that way when Connor puts out these, these pieces. This is a guy who's paid $10 million to go and fight, and he's just giving these pieces out. Nate Diaz did just seconds, just seconds when he was in the ring. Oh, you'd rewatch that over and over. I had a fantasy, guys. Was it Team Quest? The original Team Quest. Team Quest was a monster gym. Whatever studs we didn't have, they would come to us. Guys were flying in from around the world. Now, this was a real who-who. This was of yesteryear. I would tell you about James uh, Thompson. I would tell you about BJ Penn. I would tell you about Don Fry. I'd tell you about Boss Root. I'd tell you about 
Rico Rodriguez, but these are guys that were just coming through the gym. That housed the champion, Randy Couture. That housed the pride champion, Dan Henderson. That housed the number one ranked fighter in the world, Matt Lindland. That housed the UFC champion, Evan Tanner. And so, I mean, I'm watching matches that you could only fantasize about. The Abu Dhabi champion, Jeff Munson's coming in. The up-and-comer about to fight for a championship, Dennis Holman's in the corner of the room. Chris Lieben and Ed Herman and Josh Haynes and Nate Quarry and myself. I mean, I, I could just keep going. Now, we were no... Nobody was impressed with us, right? This was a dirty room. This thing stunk. We didn't have showers afterward. Like, this wasn't one of those conditions. But over time, UFC got exposure and MMA got exposure. And these guys went on and had a, a level of success. Major exposure through the ultimate fighter. Things along these lines. Ryan Schultz and Matt Horwich and Mike Dolce. I mean, I, I could just keep playing this game of, of people that you would know. People that you would recognize. People that you wouldn't have paid to see. And I'm watching them go round robins. Every five minutes a bell rings and boom, they grab someone else. It's Chris Lieben fighting Dan Henderson. After that, it's Dan Henderson fighting Evan Tanner. After that, it's Matt Lindland versus Randy Couture. Like I'm just, this was every day, every single day. And the world was different, guys. iPhones weren't invented, just by example. This year was 2001 when all of this started. But by 2005, The Ultimate Fighter came out. Randy was the first ever coach, so we get a whole bunch of our guys to go on that season. Boom, they have huge exposure. Overnight success. Household names in the world of MMA. So at any rate, I'm watching these sparring sessions every day. I don't have an iPhone. Camcorders used to be a thing back then. But you had to bring them in. You had to set it up on a tri-top. You, you had to get the camera just right. And then even once you have this footage, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? Who are you going to sell it to? Netflix wasn't around yet, just by example. Amazon and Apple and Disney, they just weren't doing these things. Fight Pass wasn't a name. Vince hadn't started with the network. I mean, what are you going to do with it? So I was going to do a Big Brother type thing. I was going to bring in cameras. They were going to be locked. The window would go live every day at three, which is when we have practice. I was going to charge people around the world to have a monthly subscription. Now, looking at this technology and figuring out how to do this, let alone getting Team Quest to go along with it, because then everybody wants a hand in the pot. Why am I not getting it? Mean, it's just one of these things where it never went anywhere, but I have a massive regret. I don't just mean from the business standpoint. I could have just set up that tripod. Could have my mom come in and just set up that tripod. But there are these lost fights. Evan Tanner, rest his soul. I watched Evan Tanner fight Dan Henderson, Matt Lindland, and Chris Lieben in the same day. I mean, that's stuff that would be coveted. It's gone. It's lost forever. We got nothing to do it. We got no acclaim. No media came in. People weren't patting us on the back. People didn't care. It's a weird group of guys that decide they're going to get together at 3 o'clock today and fight. It's a, it's a we're weirdos. I would get my hair cut, and I would not tell people I was in the UFC. Because I didn't want to go there and go, well, what's that? And I tried to do this. Well, it's like wrestling. It's like boxing. Oh, you jump off the top rope. You know, they never got it. It's like, let me just die. I've done that with my own name before. What's your name? Chael. I've gone with other names just so I don't have to, you know, enunciate and tell them where it came from. And it's the last five letters of Mike. I mean, I'm just, right, you just try to hurry through things. But fighting was that way, where I was living my dream. I thought this was cool. This is what I want to do, but I realized nobody else did. And if I do have one regret, I mean, I, I have several regrets, quite frankly. Life is all a huge, massive regret. The only thing I would do again if I could do life again, I'd marry the same girl. 
Aside from that right here, people, I don't have any regrets. And that's what got me here today. Man, shut up. I'd have put it all on black if I knew which way the wheel was going to turn. And so when I see Conor McGregor putting out these clips, I want more, right? I think you guys can relate. How would you like to be in my spot? You're on vacation. You're all by yourself. You feel great, right? I'm not sweating. I'm not working out on the mat. TJ Archuleta Ortega doing a round robin. Tiki and Rampage coming in on the backside of this for a mid session. Chet Congo in the parking lot. These are cool things. I had these every single day at Team Quest. I took them for granted. And the greatest coaches, Robert Fallis, rest his soul. Clayton Hires, Tom Samario coming in, Dave Hagen. I mean, we just, we, it was the best of the best. And I knew at the time, I knew at the time I should be recording this. I knew at the time these pricks are going, they're going to get in my way. They're all in here doing this. They're getting nothing. I'm going to bring it to camera and figure this out. And I may not have. I may not have got the website up and going. Digital was very different back then. It would, it would have been massively expensive to do, particularly by the time you're doing commerce. Now, I can do a Google search and find 20 guys to build me the app. But I would have the content. I don't have it. And I never tell you guys about that. There's a rule. What happened in the practice room stays in the practice room. You probably wonder when Evan Tanner was the champion of the world in the UFC and Dan Henderson at the exact same weight class was the champion of pride. Oh, by the way, Matt Linden was ranked number one. Matt Lennon wasn't the champion. He was ranked in front of both those guys. You probably wonder who won when they fought. I have that answer. But I didn't document it, and that's a regret. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. And although it's a light couple of weeks in the UFC, Uncle Chael is still here working for you guys. So be sure to visit my YouTube channel, follow me on social media, and make sure you come back for my next podcast on Friday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.